Now, what if I really screw up? Can, can I say, just hold on a second, stop? No, we can't do that. Don't say stop. Just just say <laughs> what I meant is, or let me, let me rephrase right, that. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is Van Collar. Van My name is Mo Amir, and today on This is Van Culler, I'm joined by arguably the single most influential member of parliament in Canadian history to have never served in the Cabinet of Canada. For 25 years, he represented Burnaby for the New Democratic Party in Ottawa. He is notably the first MP to come out as gay. Throughout his career, he has been a trailblazer for social justice, including his stance on American foreign policy. He was a leader in the movement for the right to physician-assisted death. As a strong environmentalist, he is engaged in civil disobedience to block the logging of old-growth forests in BC, and he has advocated for LGBTQ rights. After 13 years, he is returning to politics and running as the NDP candidate in my home riding, the riding of Burnaby North Seymour. He is Sven Robinson. Sven, how are you? I'm great, Mo, and it would be wonderful to represent you in Parliament. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm a free agent yeah, as far absolutely. as I'm concerned, yeah, so yeah. Um, glad you're here. Um, you don't know this, but we actually met 16 years ago. Uh, it was my first semester at SFU, and it was Patty Smith's Administration of Justice class, and you were a guest lecturer. And I remember you spoke about uh, pro- uh, progressive politics, and I was just... In awe, like I, it was, it was something that I didn't really know a, a ton about, and uh, and now we're here, so I really appreciate it. It's great to be here, and I'm glad you mentioned Patty Smith because uh, he was a terrific and is a terrific professor. He's still absolutely still yeah. teaching at SFU in the poli sci department. Uh, he, oh, he is. Okay, yeah, that's yeah. good to know. No, yeah, he's, uh, he's still there, and uh, and uh, I, uh, I, in fact, I spoke uh, on many occasions to his classes over the years that I, I represented Burnaby because in all of those 25 years, mm-hmm. um, SFU was always a part of my writing. I, the boundaries changed. I had three different writings, That's but SFU right. was always part of the writing. So oh, cool. I enjoyed that. Are yeah. you going to be uh, speaking to his class uh, the coming fall semester, maybe during the campaign period? I may very well be speaking to his class. Okay. Once again. I've, I've already spoken to a couple of uh, SFU uh, classes. I did a thing for the uh, Institute for Humanities, actually, just a, a couple of days ago. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's a great university. Cool. Well, I do want to talk about you and why you're running for office. Uh, one thing that I do ask all politicians that that are on the show and, and are actively running for office. Why are you running? Why now? Why is this a good idea? Yeah, and and all uh, all great questions, of course, <laughs> and, and the questions that I wrestled with before I made the decision. I would hope so, yeah, right? Yeah, no, of course, because uh, I had uh, that incredible opportunity of over 25 years of serving uh, my community and, and mm-hmm. hopefully my country and then at international level as well. After that, for a decade, I, I worked internationally. I had a senior diplomatic post with the Global Fund mm-hmm. to fight AIDS, TB, and malaria based in Switzerland. Retired from that, and then, of course, the question is, well, so, you know, now what am I going to do? I'm not going to putter around <laughs> in the garden for the for next few years. Uh, uh, you could I, if you I, wanted I, to. No, no, I could, absolutely. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I came back home. My partner Max and I have um, have had a place. We've kept the place at Galliano Island for, for many, many years. I love okay. it there. Um, came back to Burnaby, talked to folks there, and lots of people were saying, you know what? Um, we need your voice. The okay. issues that you were battling away on mm-hmm. back in the day, um, and it's been about 15 years since I was in Parliament, but mm-hmm. those issues, the issues of, of, of uh, environment, protection of the environment, uh, climate crisis, uh, human rights issues, um, even on the, the issue of the right to die with dignity, um, mm-hmm. those are the issues that uh, we need strong voices on. So um, I thought, you know, I'm going to do some door knocking and just see if people on both sides of the inlet, because my riding is, uh, the boundaries have changed since I represented That's it. right. Uh, North Van is now in your riding. North Van is now and in the riding. That's where I am. Yeah. The, yeah I'm on the, the Seymour side. The Seymour area. Exactly. So basically the area that's east of the Seymour River. And uh, so I thought I'm going to door knock. And I did. I door knocked uh, in the Seymour area, door knocked Deep Cove, down at Dollarton, mm-hmm. uh, Mount Seymour Parkway, the, you know, Parkgate, the whole area there. And um, door knocked, of course, back in Burnaby, in the area that I used to represent. Mm-hmm. And uh, Bottom line was that uh, there was a lot of support, a lot of encouragement to say, yeah, um, it's great to see you back uh, and uh, we need your voice. And so um, 
that's, uh, that's why I'm here. I, I was nominated as a candidate uh, in uh, Burnaby North Seymour in January. Mm-hmm. I was really honored that David Suzuki was, was there to support me. Okay, uh, wow. He spoke at the meeting. Uh, it's the first time he's endorsed a new Democrat in, <laughs> in probably over 20 years. I was the wow. last one he endorsed. <laughs> oh, is that right? Okay, interesting. Uh, so, yeah, so basically that's, uh, that's a somewhat uh, long answer, but uh, to an important question of, of why I'm back. I'm, the, the two main issues that, that really drive me and that I hope to be able to make a difference on, both uh, as a member of parliament, but also pushing my own party, uh, are the climate crisis issue uh, and inequality. I mean, mm-hmm. I've seen a huge increase uh, in inequality, sure. income inequality, wealth inequality, housing is just shocking mm-hmm. um, since I left. And if I can make a difference, uh, that's what I'd like to do. Well, I love that you say that, you know, you're about these these issues and people who wanted you to run again were talking about issues. And that... I'm sort of curious about what you think this election is about, at least so far, because sometimes just reading the news media, it feels like it's almost an election that's a referendum on Justin Trudeau. And I know that the NDP are certainly advocating for big ideas, whether it is pharmacare or climate change programs. Uh, But at least so far, like a lot of the preamble to this election that we're going to have in the fall uh, seems to be more about personalities than than actual issues. Is that normal? Or do you think maybe there will be more of a focus on on issues later? Or maybe there is, maybe I'm wrong. No, I, I don't think you're wrong. I mean, I, I think I think there has been a lot of focus on, on leadership. And uh, and that, that, of course, was challenging for Jagmeet Singh, mm-hmm. uh, the, the new leader of the NDP, uh, because he was out of the House for a long time. That's right. Yeah. Uh, and that made it more difficult uh, for people would say, well, you know, where is he? We, we, want, we want to hear from him, right? Mm-hmm. The exciting thing is now he is in Parliament. He was elected in, in Burnaby South on a, on a strong progressive platform. He mm-hmm. ran on universal pharmacare, on access to affordable housing, uh, on uh, the climate crisis, uh, of course, uh, fighting the uh, the Kinder Morgan, the Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion, which my riding is ground zero for that. Yeah, um, that's right. Uh, and uh, and so so he's in the house now. We're hearing more from him on the on the issues. Um, sure, the media tends to focus on on you know Justin this and Andrew Shear that and <laughs> and so on. But I I think as we get closer, I think more and more Canadians are recognizing that the climate crisis has got to be. Uh, top of the agenda. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a there was an interesting poll recently that said something like sixty percent of Canadians uh, said th- that they were prepared to support the essence of what we call the Green New Deal, right. uh, which is a, a radical transformation of our economy, saying fossil fuels, no more subsidies to fossil fuels, no mm-hmm. more new oil and gas infrastructure, mm-hmm. um, and uh, good green jobs. Right? Um, Canadians support that, and so yeah, there may be some focus on on personalities and so on, and and there'll be the old tactics of the liberals, you know, the strategic <laughs> vote thing. Well, my God, you know, you may not like Justin, but the, the, the devil is is over there, Andrew Scheer, so you got to right. <laughs> suck it up and vote for us, right? Well, I'm hoping that Canadians won't get sucked in by that particular strategic voting thing and, mm-hmm. and recognize that there there is a, an alternative, and that's the New Democrats. Definitely. And, and we will get into some of the issues in a, in, in a bit, but I do want to talk a little bit more about you and a little more about this political environment that we're mm-hmm. in right now. Uh, I mean, to me, you're like this... OG social justice warrior in a way. I mean, you've pushed a lot of progressive ideas into the mainstream when some people might have considered them fringe at the mm-hmm. time. So so I'm curious, just in terms of the political cultural environment today, compared to when you left office in the mid-2000s, what, what's the difference? And, and, and wouldn't you argue that as a country, we have moved in that progressive direction that you've been advocating for since the 1970s? On a lot of issues, we, we've, there's been significant movement. There's no question about that um, on LGBTQ issues, for example. I mean, I, when I came out in 1988, um, uh, my office was, uh, was trashed. Uh, I got hate mail. I got death hmm. threats. Uh, the premier of British Columbia accused me of being a bad role model really? for the children of the community. Wow. The premier of Saskatchewan, Grant Devine, said that, you know, I deserve the same sympathy as bank robbers and so on. Um, wow. And, uh, and I, was, I was alone for like six years. I didn't exactly start a trend. I was the only only openly gay member of parliament for six years. Mm-hmm. Uh, then uh, Bloc Québécois MP came out. But there, the exciting thing is that there's been a real transformation in that young people are so much more open uh, and accepting. It's just no big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, um, when you look at uh, the, the situation of trans people, for example, back when I came out, that wasn't even on the agenda. It wasn't even an, an issue. Yeah. Um, 
people could be thrown out of, we could be thrown out of our homes, uh, the homophobia and the AIDS epidemic. Because when I came out in 88, we were living in the middle of this, mm-hmm. you know, terrifying epidemic. I was going to funerals, you know, all the time of friends. Hmm. Um, so on LGBT issues, there's been a transformational change for sure. No, no doubt about that. And, mm-hmm. uh, and I welcomed, for example, and I was part of the process that uh, led to Justin Trudeau's apology uh, in Parliament uh, for the uh, terrible wrongdoings that were done uh, to to LGBT people, uh, for example, kicked out of their jobs and so on, uh, criminalized for consensual activity. Um, so there's been progress there, but you know what's troubling is, yeah, there's been progress there. There's been progress on on a number of other issues, but then I look at, for example, the the rise of Islamophobia in right. in, in Canada, and it's scary. Mm-hmm. Uh, I look at uh, a party uh, like this, uh, like Bernier's party, and the code words that he's using. Right. Are, yeah. You know, you don't have to dig very far. We saw a candidate in the by-election in Burnaby South, Bernier's candidate, who who clearly was was. Viewing this kind of hateful uh, rhetoric of mm-hmm. uh, you know the the enemy and uh, you know a, a racist Islamophobic um, transphobic uh, agenda. So sure we've made progress, but uh, it's very fragile. And and I think probably the biggest single difference between when I was active in politics in you know, 2000 2004 and so on and today is social media. I mean, right. I um, <laughs> I didn't have to deal with Facebook and Twitter and Snapchat and Instagram and all of that. Um, uh, and uh, and it seems to have a pretty significant impact and and power uh, and, and the ability to sort of, you know, share fake news and so on. Right. Um, that's all new as well. And that's what I want to get into as well is, I mean, certainly in terms of the culture, the one thing that has changed from when you left politics to today is the proliferation of social media. You're on Twitter now. Mm. You're With a vengeance. Right. (laughs) (laughs) You're recording a podcast as we speak, like these things that you wouldn't have been doing Mm. in the past. Just on a personal level, what is that like in terms of adapting to these new sort of technological environments? Um, I mean, it must feel like this run this this political campaign is a lot different than your other campaigns, I would imagine. It is and it isn't. I mean, for me, the essence of, of my campaign is is the face-to-face contact. So sure. the, door, the door knocking, I've, I, I went through seven elections. Door knocking is the single most powerful thing you can do. I mean, you're face-to-face with the people that you're asking to for, for, for their support, mm-hmm. the honor of trust of representing them. So door knocking, that hasn't changed. Um, and community meetings, meeting with community leaders, uh, all of that. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm still, um, I'm finding you know, social media challenging. And, um, <laughs> I, as I said, you know, kind of jokingly about, about Twitter, uh, yeah, I'm on Twitter and I, I'm actually having fun on, on, on Twitter. On, but, that's uh, good to hear. You don't hear that a lot from people. <laughs> no, that's right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I love that mute button. I haven't blocked anybody yet, but boy, mute is nice. Um, Mute's the key, I think. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You don't want to give people the pleasure of blocking them, right? <laughs> yeah. It, it's weird that it's this weird... Um, it's this badge, right? So if you if you if you block someone, then suddenly they're throwing up that screenshot of Sven Robinson just blocked me, exactly. and then you know his echo, that person's echo chamber is saying, "Yeah, great work," yeah, and yeah. me too, and. Yeah, yeah. It happens. So no, yeah. I, I mean I'm I'm getting used to it, but uh, but it is an important form because it gives you the opportunity to give instant feedback. Yeah, and that was unthinkable when I was active in politics. I mm-hmm. mean, you know, uh, the other thing that's interesting in terms of the media and the change in the media is um, uh, is the the extent to which um, press conferences have changed. I. On the anniversary okay. of the death of Sue Rodriguez, for example, and you remember Sue Rodriguez was the woman that I worked with to fight for the right to die right. with dignity. And um, and on the anniversary of her death, the 25th anniversary of her death, I had a press conference. It was a big, you know, big deal, a big press conference, right? But uh, And there were lots of cameras there, a couple of journalists and so on. But at the end, I looked out and you know, there were hardly any questions because the journalists were back in their studio, back in their, their offices. Uh, before, the, they would have been there face-to-face. They would have been asking me questions and so on. Sure. So, um, so the nature of media itself has changed also. Do you think that's because of a, a shortened news cycle and the sense of urgency of having to get out the story? Is I think that... that's part of it, sure. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, okay, that's very interesting. Um, one thing I do want to touch on as well is, I mean, you, you sort of brought up the the People's Party candidate in, in Burnaby South. And I, I found that by-election to be quite interesting because in one way, you know, it was great. Jagmeet won the election. He won it by a bigger margin than Kennedy Stewart had. Um, we have the, the first sort of racialized 
political leader sitting in the in the house now. Um, but it was like a very gross by-election in a lot of ways with some of the rhetoric that was being promoted or implied. Well, and just the atmosphere. I went to an all-candidates meeting at Maywood Community School in South Burnaby. All the candidates were there. And just the, the kind of the, the, the nasty tone yeah. of people in the audience, you know, it was, was very, very troubling. Um, anti-immigrant, anti-refugee, mm-hmm. uh, you know, certainly Islamophobic. Um, uh, no, I, 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 think, I think you're right. I mean, I think it was, it was great that Jagmeet won with a, a healthy uh, majority, um, but um, we've got to tackle that head on. That kind of uh, that kind of hatred. Well, and it almost felt like the stuff that you see on Twitter came alive in person yeah. in some of those debates, and and it, I mean, there was people yelling "terrorist," and oh yeah, it was very strange to watch. Um, and and so when we take that as sort of a, a warm up to what we have coming up in the in the fall and the winter. Um, We've seen SNC-Lavalin take out ads against Jody Wilson-Raybould, which is really strange. Um, And we've seen this split on the party and the right. Are you anticipating a very nasty election, a very dirty election? Yes. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, absolutely. I mean, uh, I I think uh, we've already had a taste of that, as you you say. I mean, the kind of vicious personal attacks on Jody Wilson-Raybould and on Jane Philpott. Mm -hmm. This is extraordinary. I mean, I, I have... Huge respect for both of those women, and I know I don't know Jody well, but I, I I had the privilege of meeting Jane Philpott. She was a medical doctor that worked in in Niger in Africa mm-hmm. for many years. She's a humanitarian. Uh, she actually lost a child uh, in uh, in Niger, a young hmm. child, um, and uh, is a woman of principle and integrity. And when I saw the kind of nasty, vicious personal attacks on on both of them, um, if that's a foretaste of of what's to come. Um, and, and, you know, even with Shear, I mean, uh, some of his um, dabbling, you know, sharing the stage uh, uh, with some of these yellow vest people and some of the people out there in the crowd. Uh, sure. Troubling, troubling. So um, the, the interesting thing is that Justin Trudeau can no longer run as kind of Mr. Sunny Ways, right? And the, this great, um, you know, transformational feminist indigenous leader. I mean, women, the daughters of the vote, those young women mm-hmm. that were in the house that turned their back on him, many of them that turned their back on him, sent a message. Uh, indigenous leadership in British Columbia, Stuart Phillip, the head of the Union of BC Indian Chiefs, and many, many other indigenous leaders are saying, look, we may have, you know, some of us may have, you know, been prepared to give you the benefit of the doubt before, but we've seen through you now. So, yeah. so I think um, a lot of those constituencies um, uh, he's lost. I mean, the electoral reform. Remember his promise about <laughs> you know this will be the last election and first past the post, right? Exactly. Yeah. And it should have been. I mean, I, I deeply regret that we didn't move to proportional representation because mm-hmm. then, for example, the voices of, of 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 the Green Party would be better reflected in Parliament as they should be. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, so if, if Trudeau can't run, if Justin can't run as kind of Mr. Sunny Ways, um, a great progressive and so on, I think what we're going to see is uh, we're going to see him uh, transforming into Mr. Tough Guy. Uh, <laughs> and he'll take on, you know, Doug Ford and he'll fight with Jason Kenney and so on. And he'll be the, 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 the great uh, uh, defender of all that is truth and beauty right. in Canada. Uh, my, my hope is and my, I, I think my, 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 my concern is that, that Canadians have to see through that. Yeah. I, I mean, on on the topic of nastiness, uh, I, I don't think uh, Justin Trudeau himself has been overtly nasty, but there have certainly been people in his caucus, like when talking about Jody Wilson-Raybould, um, that used certain rhetoric that just didn't seem very stately oh, yeah. as well. Do you, th- do you think like uh, the nastiness that you're seeing and and what you're what we saw in the Burnaby South election, do you think that is attributable directly to people who are in office or who are running for office? It's I mean, it's part of the political culture, sadly now, I think, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, we just have to deal with it and hope to to keep the focus on the issues. But I wouldn't let Trudeau off quite as lightly as as perhaps you have. I mean, sure. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I was... I already blasted <laughs> him on CKNW. I don't want that to be my shtick. Well, so. no, no, no. But I mean, you know, remember that exchange. And it, you know, it was, it was a powerful moment, that exchange, when that woman from Grassy Narrows, 
was at the fundraiser, sure, the liberal yeah. fundraiser, right? And uh, I mean, this is people whose whose water is being poisoned, whose kids are, are are suffering illness and so on, right? And she buys a ticket to a fundraiser because that's the only way that she can actually confront her prime minister directly. That's and, right. And how does he respond to her? You know. Thanks for your donation. Yeah. Right? So the the veil slipped a little I bit. I was going to say right? he let the mask <laughs> slip a little yeah, bit for yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it, it is interesting um, in terms of a lot of this nastiness and, and people are trying to portray themselves a certain way and other people are just being flat out nasty. As someone who, I mean, you've already alluded to this, you've dealt with a lot of this, whether it was your, mm. your office or, or whatever. Do you, do you feel it's gotten worse or, or is it different? I'm just trying to get a sense of, you know, has it always been this way or is it particularly nasty this time around? You know, I think probably it's too early for me to really be able to pass judgment on that because we haven't really gotten into the, 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 the thick of the election campaign yet, mm-hmm. right? And let's let's see what, what, what happens there, right? I mean, uh, uh, it's uh, we've certainly seen nastiness in the past. I mean, uh, uh, and, you know, uh, I went through a pretty tough personal situation with the, the ring mm-hmm. uh, and, uh, and uh, dealing with uh, some challenging mental health issues at the time and so on. Uh, and there was certainly nastiness around that, sure, particularly yeah. when I ran in, in Vancouver Centre afterwards, a couple of years afterwards, which in retrospect was, was too early. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, you know, the good thing is on that, I certainly haven't seen the slightest uh, indication that that's an issue now. Will it be in the course of the campaign? I don't know. I hope not. Um, but um, I think um, I think we have to be rec- we have to recognize that with social media, uh, there is that potential to... Um, you know, um, to get very nasty very quickly. Sure. Yeah. Um, on that topic, let's talk about the incumbent member of parliament that you're running against. Let's talk about the MP for Burnaby North Seymour, uh, liberal MP Terry Beach. When you announced your candidacy, I thought one thing that was interesting was, uh, one thing that was interesting that was not being highlighted in the media, I should say, was that, you know, driving down Hastings past Terry's constituency office, he faced a lot of protest, uh, particularly over the Trans Mountain Pipeline. How would you personally assess the job that, that Terry has done in office so far in terms of representing his, his constituents like me? Well, I, I said at my nominating meeting, and I think this is really important, that this election is not about personalities, right? It's mm-hmm. not about whether Terry Beach is a good guy or not. I like Terry. <laughs> I mean, I get along fine with Terry and, yeah. and his wife, Ravi. I, they had a, a beautiful little baby uh, in, in December. I sent them a, you know, a message of greeting, little Nova. Um, it's not about my Green Party uh, uh, opponent, uh, Amita Kuttner. She's a mm-hmm. brilliant young scientist uh, who has a huge uh, contribution to, to make to, to public life. It's not about personalities. And, and mm-hmm. I think that's really important to understand that. But it's about the issues and it's about the values and it's about the promises that were made. And so specifically, for example, on, on, uh, on Terry Beach, um, the promise that he and Justin Trudeau made in the last federal election. They made two basic promises about the pipeline mm-hmm. uh, to the people of Burnaby, uh, North Seymour. And again, it's ground zero. They want to put 14 new big tanks on Burnaby Mountain. Yeah. This is a residential area. It's 250 meters from a, an elementary school, Forest Grove Elementary School. They want a seven times increase in the number of tankers that are leaving from Westridge Terminal in my constituency, right? Seven times to, from 60 a year to over 400 a year, right? Mm-hmm. So the promise, what were the two promises that, that, that Beach and Trudeau made? First, they said that if the community doesn't give its consent, and if Indigenous peoples do not give their consent, we will not support this pipeline. That right. was promise number one. And then promise number two was we will get rid of Harper's old environmental assessment process, which was badly flawed, favored the corporations, and we will have a fair and, and, and respectful uh, environmental assessment process. Well, mm-hmm. fast forward. What happened to those promises? Um, the community clearly doesn't support uh, the uh, the pipeline expansion. My community, Burnaby North Seymour, is overwhelmingly opposed to it. Indigenous peoples, well, the Tsleil-Waututh people are in the heart of Burnaby North Seymour right. on the North Shore. The Squamish people also have territory in Burnaby North Seymour. They have been two of the leaders against the uh, pipeline expansion. So, so promise number one, 
totally broken sure. right? in terms of consent from the community, in terms of consent from Indigenous peoples. And then what about the uh, environmental assessment process? Well, the Liberals used exactly the same, yeah. I repeat, exactly the same environmental process as Harper, mm-hmm. as Harper used. And it was so fundamentally flawed that the Federal Court of Appeal said, you showed total contempt for Indigenous peoples. Yeah. You didn't take consi- into consideration marine safety. You ignored the impact on the resident southern uh, killer whales, the orca mm-hmm. population. Um, so that promise was broken as well. So you know, we don't have to talk about percent, but, but, but issues. Was the Liberal member of parliament reflecting and was the government of Canada reflecting the priorities of the people of Burnaby North Seymour when they spent $4.5 billion to buy the bloody pipeline? Sure, yeah. Of course not. <laughs> of course not. So, you know, that alone, it seems to me, that betrayal of trust mm-hmm. is grounds for saying, you're out of here, and we're going to vote for a, a member of parliament who's going to stand up for our community. 30 years ago, Mo, 30 years ago, I was taking on Trans Mountain Corporation mm-hmm. uh, in uh, in North Burnaby over their uh, uh, proposed expansion at that time. Sure. And to be clear, I, I didn't mean to uh, pit personalities. No, no. Uh, I, w- I actually know Terry Beach as well. We were in a similar cohort at, at SFU. He's very bright. Uh, he speaks very well. He's very. He is a very good guy. Yeah. A very nice guy. Yeah. Um, I guess what I just. Wh- I mean, you covered what I meant. Was like yeah. you know where where did his responsibilities lie? And just to go a little deeper in that, do you think if um, we don't have to take him specifically, but if a member of parliament does certainly believe in a, a promise that's made in the election time and the caucus and the party and the leader decide to renege on those promises. What is the responsibility of that specific member of parliament to their community after having made that promise? Do you think they should go against their party? Well, I mean, if it's a, if it's a fundamental issue, uh, of course they should. And, you know, I think maybe on, there was one or two votes where Terry voted with Joyce Murray, you know, against some aspect of Kinder Morgan. I don't know, but, but okay. the bottom line is, it's up to the voters then in the next election. Mm-hmm. That's the key, sure. right? So did he keep his promises, right? And if he didn't, or did she keep her promises? And if they didn't, well, you know, there's there's conclusions that can be drawn from that. The other big issue uh, that uh, I think there's been a complete failure by by the Liberals on, and that is on on housing. I mean, mm-hmm. it was I was in Parliament in the 90s, in the mid-90s, uh, when Paul Martin, the Liberal finance minister, uh, killed the national housing strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and because before that, federal government actually did support um, affordable housing, co-op housing, for example, seniors housing, students housing. They supported that. It was a minority government, by the way, in 72 to 74, in which the NDP had the, the, the hammer, the balance of power mm, that they okay. brought in the national housing sure. strategy. But so, so the liberals killed that. And this is really important to understand. Since then, since the mid-1990s, there hasn't been a single unit not one unit of affordable housing built in Burnaby North Seymour hmm. with any kind of federal government support. So hasn't been a single co-op housing unit built since the 70s and 80s, right? Hmm. Uh, early 90s. I opened a couple of those co-ops in, in, in Burnaby, but nothing since then. And if we're serious about recognizing, as I think we must be, that housing is a human right, it's a basic human right, mm-hmm. um, well, they failed totally failed. Yeah. And so again, it's not about, you know, is a person a nice person and, you know, has he, <laughs> it's, it's about what have they done for the community on the issues that matter most to the people of that community. Sure. And on that, I say their record is, has been a failure. Mm-hmm. Obviously housing is a big issue in Metro Vancouver and in, in, in BC uh, as a whole. One aspect of housing in Metro Vancouver has been these revelations about money laundering, which has been, which has affected our, mm-hmm. our, um, our real estate market. MP Don Davies has sponsored a federal e-petition on launching a public inquiry into money laundering with federal support. Is this something that you would endorse or support as well if you were an MP? I already have. You I have? Think, okay. I, I think it's a very important initiative. Uh, Don Davies, by the way, is a terrific member of parliament. I mean, he he represents Vancouver Kingsway 
uh, I had the honor of representing part of Vancouver Kingsway for almost a decade. Okay, as, right. As part of my riding, and yeah. uh, and and Don has just done a great job representing that uh, that community, and I'm I'm confident that he's going to be reelected with a significant majority. Of people recognize that and respect that. Mm-hmm. Um, absolutely, we we need a, an inquiry into this. I mean, when I look, for example, at um, some of these luxury high rise um, buildings, and at night, and I see that. Boy, you know, there's a lot of of, of those apartments that uh, don't have any lights on. The lights right. never come on in those apartments. Those are apartments that are empty, sitting empty, that are being held in some cases by people who are laundering money. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And that's just not acceptable. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think we've got to get to the bottom of it. I know that... Um, um, the uh, provincial government, uh, David Eby, the uh, attorney general, is taking into consideration a number of the key issues around this, mm-hmm. and uh, and I'm hoping that uh, they will soon uh, launch a public inquiry into this. Absolutely. When it comes to the the federal government's role in such an inquiry or from stopping a lot of this activity from happening, uh, what is the role of the federal government? I mean, I had um, when I had Brad West, uh, mayor of Port Coquitlam, on the show, we did talk about this, and and he even seemed to express this idea that the federal government was largely absent in terms of addressing this or providing solutions or support to the provincial government, which is at least now finally doing something about it. That's right. And, and I, th- I think Brad is, is absolutely right. Um, when you look, for example, at the um, staffing of the RCMP, and you probably saw that mm-hmm. uh, that story about the staffing of the RCMP commercial crime section. Yeah. Uh, and there's that, no investigation. And there's nobody there. The RCMP you know, there's nobody home. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, you, you've got a, a commercial crime section. You've got a section that's supposed to be looking at money laundering, mm-hmm. and there are no resources for that. Yeah. That's a failure of federal government leadership. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot to talk about, especially on the the foreign policy front. I feel like that's a that's two hours on its mm. own. But but one thing I do want to ask you about, which generated uh, some controversy and uh, sort of some heated debate from all sides, was your stance on Venezuela. And I'll be I'll admit I'd, I actually don't know a lot in terms mm. of what's happening there. But I want to give you the opportunity to explain to me, you know, very quickly, sort of what's happening there why you're against Canada's recognition of Juan Guaido as the president Guaido, of, Venez- yeah. of, of the president of Venezuela and um, and where you think the NDP should stand or where the NDP does stand, I guess, on on this issue. Yeah, and, and it's, it's, I, I appreciate the opportunity to, to, to clarify the position on that. Um, for me, the, the fundamental issue that we have to address here is, is what can Canada do? What role can Canada play to most effectively support the people of Venezuela at this time, because mm-hmm. the people of Venezuela are suffering terribly. There's no question about that. Uh, access to food, basic medicines, uh, there's there's terrible suffering there. I, When I was at the Global Fund, I, I, I worked hard to ensure that we, we got emergency drugs for uh, medication for HIV AIDS, for example, into Venezuela. Mm-hmm. So if that's our objective, then it seems to me a couple of things flow from that. Um, first of all, uh, Canada should be doing everything in our power to to find a way to work with countries like Mexico and Uruguay mm-hmm. that have not signed on to this so-called Lima group, um, that have not recognized Guaido, um, to enable the people of Venezuela to to have a, a, a genuinely free and fair election to determine their own future. Who do they want? If they want to vote for Guaido, fine. If they mm-hmm. want to vote for Maduro, fine. But give them an opportunity to to, to make that decision for themselves. Second point, I think, is we have to recognize the historical role of the United States in the hemisphere. Sure. And historically, whether it's the United States' role in, in Chile, in, in, in uh, overthrowing the democratically elected government uh, in Chile and installing Pinochet, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, this blood, bloody dictator in, in, in Chile, uh, with, when we look at uh, their role in a whole range of, of other areas, um, when we look at their alliance with Bolsonaro in, uh, in Brazil, mm-hmm. uh, who is a thug who, you know, has shown total contempt for indigenous peoples and the environment. Um, and then John Bolton, who uh, is the top security guy for, um, uh, for, for Trump, mm-hmm. uh, said, crystal clear, he said, you know what? Uh, there's a great opportunity here for American oil industry, <laughs> right? Well, why would Canada be part of facilitating that process. And, and Guaido has said, oh, yeah, you know, we think that, you know, opening up the, the Venezuelan oil industry to the Americans, that's that's a good thing, right? Sure. Um, so, I, I, and, and, and the final point is this. Governments recognize leaders 
when they're in effective control of their country. That's the, sort of the basic rule of, of foreign policy. Mm-hmm. Well, is anybody seriously suggesting that Juan Guaido is in control of Venezuela today? <laughs> I mean, think about it. It's ludicrous, frankly. It's ludicrous. Uh, he stands up on a, on, a, on a table and says, you know, I was elected by the, this National Assembly and I'm now the president of uh, uh, Venezuela, but boy, I'm not in control of anything, right? Yeah. And Canada just jumps on board. So I think that, uh, I, I think that uh, it was a big mistake for Canada to make that recognition, and Canada should be doing everything we can to support the people of Venezuela as, as urgently as possible. And finally, and uh, sanctions, mm-hmm. the impact of sanctions. Let's not forget, those sanctions which the Americans have tightened, which Canada is supporting, those are hurting the people of Venezuela as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So did Venezuela, Venezuela didn't have a proper election as well? The, he, what what happened there? Like well, why the, why would why did we say that? Okay, this is now the the president of Venezuela. There there's there's debate. I mean there 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 is debate about um, about that election. And and I want to be clear. I mean I'm not suggesting that Maduro is is not guilty of, of significant human rights sure, abuses. Yeah. I mean he <laughs> is right. Yeah. But that's not the issue. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the issue is we we can't turn back the clock now. Mm-hmm. Um, let's move forward and 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 as I say do everything we can to ensure that the people of Venezuela have an opportunity to, to genuinely voice their um, uh, their views in, in, in a free and fair election. Mm-hmm. On a more general level, do you think on a foreign policy perspective, the Canadian government should be perhaps take other things into account in terms of the types of relationships we have with different governments, whether that is authoritarian governments or... You know, I'm. I'm th- I mean, I'm, I'm. Well, look at Saudi Arabia. Well, I, mean, I was going to hark back to my interview yeah. with Brad West, and you know, whether it's Saudi Arabia or yeah. China or you know, governments where they don't do they don't do politics or or governing the way that we do. No, look, it's it's absolutely shameful that Canada it continues to sell military equipment to the the government of Saudi Arabia. I mean, Saudi Arabia is a country which is involved in a genocidal war in Yemen. Mm-hmm. Children are dying. Thousands of children have died. Um, and it's basically just, it's corporate profit, corporate greed that's that's driving that decision. Justin Trudeau promised a long time ago, well, we'll review that, uh, you know, in light of what's happening. And so nothing, is, nothing has changed. Sure. We continue to, to sell those weapons. Our relationship with, with China uh, is similarly largely driven by, by corporate interests. And uh, I think... And they have re-education camps, quote-unquote, oh, yeah. there. No, I mean, when you look at what's happening with the, with the Muslims in Xinjiang province, um, mm-hmm. the Uyghurs in, uh, in Xinjiang province, it's, it's shocking. Mm-hmm. Um, but for Canadian business, it's, you know, look, we've got a, you know, it's a big market there, right? And, right. Uh, and it's, all about, uh, it's all about business. And what's, I have to say also, what, what's troubling about China is the growing uh, interference by Chinese government led uh, uh, people in Canada, right. uh, interfering in 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 Canadian mil- uh, media, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, Jonathan Manthorpe wrote a book called Claws of the Panda, uh, in which he uh, very eloquently, uh, uh, I think, described some of the real concerns that Canadians should have about Chinese government influence in uh, uh, in uh, in Canada. Mm-hmm. Well, when we had that ambassador that uh, was speaking more like the a representative oh. of China than, you know, a representative of, of Canada. It was, yeah. uh, it was quite shocking. And yeah. it's, I think that provides a lot of, or it, it has, it, there's a lot of difficulty in terms of where do you negotiate these foreign relations, right? Like, yeah. do we now have a rubric where we met, where we measure every country and figure out what to do? I mean, the arms thing seems to be straightforward. The arms thing is straightforward, but, but, but we also, I mean, there, there's, there are fundamental human rights benchmarks, international law benchmarks. Uh, mm-hmm. For example, in the context of Palestine, Israel mm-hmm. and Palestine. I mean, Israel has been engaged in, in, in a totally illegal, inhumane, dehumanizing occupation of, uh, of Palestinian lands uh, for more than 50 years, right? Mm. Um, the, the Gaza, the, the siege of Gaza, it's like a giant open air camp. I mean, it's appalling what's happening there. This is, I mean, and, and almost every country uh, except a handful, the United States, and, and sadly too often Canada votes with the United States still these days, um, every country has said this is this is a breach of international law, but nothing changes. Hmm. That seems to be this one area where, that really does separate you from a lot of other politicians, I feel like. Like you do, you have historically talked about uh, a lot of these issues around the world and foreign mm-hmm. policy and what Canadian foreign policy should look like when I think most people 
shy away from that kind well, of Well, and I've tried not to just talk the talk, but to walk the walk. I mean, sure. I, you know, in Palestine, I confronted the Israeli military and said, mm-hmm. you know, this isn't your land, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and and, and uh, took them on directly. I, was, I led a human rights delegation to China shortly after Tiananmen Square. Hmm. Um, All-party parliamentary delegation, uh, we were kicked out of the country because we met with families of people who were... Um, uh, in some cases killed, in other cases imprisoned hmm. uh, at Tiananmen Square. Uh, I led delegations to India, and there's still very serious human rights concerns in India. The Modi government sure. uh, is, uh, is, is responsible for terrible human rights violations, mm-hmm. ongoing human rights violations uh, in, uh, in India. Uh, and um, I've you know, obviously raised concerns about, uh, about the Palestinian situation. I was into Chile during the time of Pinochet to actually support exiled uh, parliamentarians there. So, uh, and uh, in the case of Cuba, for example, have spoken out strongly over many years about the, uh, the U.S. blockade and the impact of the U.S. blockade in mm-hmm. Cuba. So um, I felt very privileged as a member of parliament who had responsibility for that, that file, the foreign affairs file, to be able to... Uh, speak, and I think on behalf of many Canadians. I mean, when mm. I when Ronald Reagan spoke in the Canadian Parliament in 1987, and when I heckled him, um, what'd you say? <laughs> well, he was speaking, and you know, there was this triumphant applause because, I mean, at that Parliament, it was overwhelmingly conservative, sure. right? Um, and uh, and Reagan started talking about uh, the freedom fighters in in uh, Nicaragua, and I said, "Stop funding the Contras, Reagan." Uh, wow. And then and then he started later in his speech, he started talking about uh, you know the great defense shield and so on. And I said, and very loudly, everybody here, I said, um, you know, stop funding Star Wars, Reagan. Wow. Right? Um, and so, but in doing that, uh, I was reflecting the views of many Canadians. Sure. Right? I mean, there were the conservative MPs who were just wildly applauding everything that Ronald Reagan had to say, right? Yeah. But Parliament is supposed to be a place where the views of Canadians are are heard. And I made sure that day that the views of Canadians were heard loud and clear by Ronald Reagan. Yeah. Wow. I want to talk about someone else who has also been in uh, Parliament for a long time and who's been representing the uh, the views of her community. I want to talk about Heidi Fry, someone that you ran against in 2006. I mean, she's beaten a pretty impressive list of candidates throughout the years, including Kim Campbell, Bill Sixay, Kennedy Stewart, Lauren Maincourt, and Adrian Carr. And as someone who, I mean, you lost to her as well in 2006, but but as someone who has held a seat in parliament for a quarter century yourself, what do you think it is about Heidi Fry that makes her such a force in Vancouver Centre? Hetty, um, but she is a force of nature. <laughs> uh, no, and, and you know, um, I, I ran against her. Many others have run against her as well. But uh, to give Hetty her due, I mean, she she does work very hard. I think she consults with, uh, you know, local community groups and so on. Mm-hmm. A lot of the gay boys love her. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, so, um, uh, and, and just the demographics of that riding too. I think, uh, you know, she's been, um, uh, she's, she's reflected the concerns of, her constituents. She was a medical doctor um, during the AIDS crisis, and, mm-hmm. uh, and 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 did very important and valuable work, um, and spoke out, uh, you know, on on those issues uh, long before it was popular. Um, and uh, she has been a, a, a very effective spokesperson uh, on LGBT issues. Mm-hmm. Um, she always was very supportive of me when I raised those issues, for example. Um, but. You know, again, you've got to separate. Yeah, she was great on those issues, but on, on, on sort of the fundamental issues, what's been happening on homelessness, for example, in her constituency? I mean, it's gotten a lot worse. Mm-hmm. There's no, no question about that. Housing in her constituency, uh, a failure of leadership, um, the climate crisis. Well, you know, she's part of a liberal caucus that isn't dealing with that seriously. So I don't think the New Democrats have got a candidate nominated yet in, uh, in Vancouver Centre, but um, I think this time, you know, hopefully there'll be a recognition that, uh, sure, maybe, you know, Hetty has done some important work in the community, but um, it's time for a change. Hmm. Before I let, uh, before I give you an elevator pitch for some of the key issues that we have talked about, uh, I want to touch on this one subject um, that I that I'm starting to come around to. Uh, I had some uh, a, a labor rights lawyer who's a friend of mine uh, tell me that you know the Liberal Party of Canada basically runs on NDP progressive ideals, but then it, they govern as conservatives mm-hmm. and. You know, I'm starting to see a lot of that. Like, I'm, I am sort of uh, coming over to that side in terms of they don't walk the walk when it comes to uh, progressivism. 
But based on that, if progressivism and a lot of the the ways that they try to present themselves historically or with this current government, if if that is so appealing, why do you feel that the NDP have struggled federally to be within striking distance of forming government? Well, part of it is because we haven't had a bold enough, progressive enough message. Hmm. Um, and uh, that's one of the reasons why I'm back is, is to <laughs> encourage the party to take a, 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 a clearer stand. Uh, on issues. And there's all sorts of exciting ways that we can do that. I mean, you mentioned labor. I mean, Cup W, that this is a liberal government that, you know, legislated postal workers back to work. Well, Cup W has a really exciting kind of, you know, vision of, of how the post office can be transformed into a, a kind of a, a, a green climate uh, change fighting um, uh, mechanism, which I think would be really, which would be great. But hmm. um, the NDP, I mean, the last federal election, for example, I was in Switzerland during the time of the last federal election, 2015. But I watched with sadness and anger, frankly, when I saw, you know, Mulcair and the, the, the federal NDP basically trying to out-liberal the liberals and say, oh, right. you know, I mean, that's, I mean, no wonder. If you give people a choice between fake liberals and real liberals, they'll choose the real thing every time. <laughs> and I don't blame them, right? Um, sure. I mean, the mushy middle, the mushy middle, I call it, is a recipe for political oblivion. And hmm. I don't blame people for not supporting that. So um, I, I think um, uh, it's it's the time for boldness, and I think it's a time, um, and I'm really pleased that Jagmeet Singh is, is speaking out boldly on a number of these issues. He recently has talked about the importance of supporting the Green New Deal, for example. Mm-hmm. He's talked about a massive program of, of building housing, half a million non-profit, non-market housing units. Uh, he's taken a very different approach on the issue of, um, of drugs and, you know, a harm reduction approach mm-hmm. to the issue of drugs. Um, and let me just say as well on Jagmeet Singh, I, I really want to take my hat off to him for, for his recent uh, book in which he spoke out, I thought, really courageously about uh, his own personal situation, mm-hmm. some of the abuse right. that he faced, both the, the racist attacks and the sexual abuse that he, he, sp- he spoke about very, very powerfully, very movingly, because um, mm-hmm. uh, that's not easy. That's not easy to do in, his, in, in, in that particular culture. It's not easy to do at Absolutely, all. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and so I really take my hat off to him. I, I was at his book launch uh, recently in, in Burnaby uh, at uh, Chapters in Metrotown, and it was very moving because at the very front of the line yeah. was a young boy about 10, 11 years old, uh, Sikh Canadian, you know, he had okay. the turban. Yeah. Um, he was there with his mom. And I said to him, I asked him the question, I said, you know, are, were you the first people in line here? Like, what time did you get here? <laughs> and he said, we got here at 9.30. We've been here for four hours. Ooh. And I said, well, you know, wh- why did you want to be the first? He said, because he's my hero. Wow. Right? And for me, that was so moving, right? This, yeah. this little kid who looks at Jagmeet Singh and he says, you know what? I can be anything I want to be, right? Yeah. Um, when I came out as, as gay in 1988, I got a lot of hate mail and so on. But boy, when I would get letters from young gay or lesbian people who said, you've given me hope, right? Mm-hmm. You've made me feel stronger. If politicians can do that, and Jagmeet has done that a very, in a very important way, um, that makes politics worthwhile. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's something we've talked about on the show with a variety of different guests, um, including media personalities, and just saying that having someone that looks like you, um, you know, be on the news or as a politician, you know, when you're growing up, it actually does make a big difference. It's a huge difference. And, uh, you know, I had Karen Kay from Fox on here, and and she told a story about how she wouldn't tell people that she wanted to be on TV or radio because there was no one like her on TV and radio. So she thought she would be ridiculed for thinking such a, or dreaming such a, an ambition, right? And, and you know what? It normalizes it, which is the amazing thing. I mean, I I remember I I was on a, I was on a platform with Charmaine De Silva, uh, okay, from yeah. uh, from um, uh, Star. Uh, uh, what is uh, the, the the station radio station that she's with? Anyway, she's a news okay. she's a news director at one of the biggest radio stations, and uh, and you know, and she happens to be an out lesbian, and just mm-hmm. uh, you know, for her courage in speaking out, uh, and as a woman of color as well, I mean, that makes such a difference. It oh, makes absolutely. A, you know, it's a, it's a sea change. It's uh, that, that 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 makes. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I'm going to give you the elevator pitch. You're not on any time clock. You're on your own clock in terms of how long you want to take this. But there are three issues that you and the NDP have been talking about. You've sort of talked about them uh, today as well. Climate change, pharmacare, affordable housing. Going through each one briefly, 
uh, I want you to give me, and I'm in your writing, mind yep. you, I want you to give me, you know, the NDP stance in terms of what the gov- current government is not doing and what you are advocating for. Well, first of all, I mean, the, the current liberal government has accepted Harper's targets mm-hmm. to, to fight climate change, which clearly just are, are, are completely outdated and don't respond to the urgency of this crisis. The IPCC report says we have 12 years to turn things around. That means the next election is the last chance we have to really start that transformation, right? Sure. Um, and um, liberals have failed failed on that, clearly have failed on that, not least because of the, the purchase of a, of a pipeline. Right? Yeah, a leaky pipeline. Uh, a, a leaky pipeline <laughs> at that, that's right. Um, but their targets just fall far short. So there's not that sense of urgency, there's not that sense of the need for transformation of our economy mm-hmm. for the kind of Green New Deal that we're talking about. Um, uh, on uh, on housing, uh, it's I, I've, I've mentioned earlier, the, the, the complete failure. When my young nephew, for example, grew up in Burnaby, um, can't afford to even rent a place. And he's a journeyman electrician, Red Seal electrician. His wife is a family counselor. They've got three kids. When he can't afford to rent a place, let alone buy a place, the average price of, of, a, of a condominium in Burnaby is about 600 and something thousand dollars. Well, he can't afford yeah. that, right? <laughs> a house, forget it. The average price of a house, a single family dwelling in Burnaby now, one and a half. One and a half million dollars, right? I mean, who can afford that? So the liberals have failed. The market has failed. Mm -hmm. Let's be clear. The market has failed. The market is not God. And we need a government that is prepared to invest in housing, in affordable housing, rental housing, seniors housing, student housing, co-op housing. Mm -hmm. Uh, The NDP has said, Chukmeet Singh has been very clear in terms of our policy. We will do that. By the way, on on, uh, climate change as well, what Jugmeet recently announced was a major program of retrofitting uh, existing uh, buildings, which will take a big hit at uh, at uh, climate change as well. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you make them more energy efficient, absolutely. Um, and then the final one uh, on uh, on pharmacare. I mean, we're still waiting to see what the liberals are going to do on pharmacare, what they're going to promise on pharmacare, and so on. Um, but we need a, a program of universal. Pharmacare, mm-hmm. taking on big pharma directly. And by the way, Don Davies, you mentioned Don Davies, MP, mm-hmm. earlier. Don has done some really important work around um, uh, around dental care as well. Okay. The importance of uh, of including dental care. Why should why shouldn't dental care be included? <laughs> yeah, included in Medicare and 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 much more support for mental health issues as well. So liberals, you know, they 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 talk the talk on pharmacare, but hey, what about childcare? I mean, I was in Parliament back in the 90s when the Liberals were promising a national child care plan. Mm-hmm. We're still waiting, <laughs> 25 years later. In fact, in the last budget, did the Liberals even mention child care? Not a word. Hmm. Right? So that's another one. I think child care we've really got to be front and center on. Well, that's why you're here after 25 years. That's keep why them, I'm here. To keep them honest. <laughs> you bet. <laughs> well, I appreciate your time. How do people follow your campaign? How do they learn about you? How do they get involved? Yeah, and we welcome people joining the team. Um, there is a, a website. It's still a work in progress, uh, but we've got a sort of a skeleton website, which is easy to remember. It's just www.svenrobinson.com. Easy. Uh, easy to find. www.svenrobinson.com. People can donate there. They can volunteer to get involved in the campaign. Um, and uh, it would be great to, to see as many people as possible out there, particularly young people who traditionally, you know, sort of stay away from politics a little bit. But uh, Hopefully, um, uh, we're going to be excited about our campaign. Sure. And how about Twitter? You didn't give out your Twitter handle. Oh, Twitter. I don't even know what it is. It's uh, Oh, no. It's at Sven4MP. Okay, That's what it is. Perfect. It's at Sven4MP, right? Beauty. You have to you have to pitch that as well. Now. I have to pitch that. And you see, that it goes to show you I'm new to all of this, right? <laughs> have you had any Twitter gaffes, by the way? Or is it oh, being God, all Oh, God. I've had good? a couple where I've quickly deleted the, the tweet when I realized that caught I caught it right away. I unfortunately caught it right away. Yeah. <laughs> For the most part, yeah. Perfect. Well, I do appreciate your time. It's crazy to reconnect after uh, 16 years. years. <laughs> I wish you all the best uh, throughout the year and in the upcoming election. Great to be with you, Mo, and congratulations on your podcast as well. I'm now going to be listening to it. Thank you. I look forward to that. Thank you so much. Ladies and gentlemen, the OG social justice warrior, the most influential member of parliament in Canadian history to have never served in cabinet. He is Svend Robinson. And I'm Mo Amir telling you that in a city where you can be anything, be colorful. Peace.